Well, good morning. Trust that you all had a a fulfilling breakfast. And uh, at this time, I think we can look to the Lord and see if he can fill us a little more in a different way. Why don't we just take an opportunity to pray here before we go any further. Let's all stand. Lord, this morning we are thankful in so many ways. Lord, we have this great opportunity to take time away from our work, to take time away from our daily routines, from the things that sometimes keep us so busy, so busy, that we barely squeeze in time for you. Lord, you never intended it to be that way. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look at this subject, Lord, we just pray that uh, your word would reveal to us how we are to look at all the things that we have before us, all the things that we have to do, all the things that perhaps entangle us. That we could hear from your word and that we could come away, even this morning, just filled with your spirit, Lord, just filled with a desire to work, work for you, work for the kingdom. Lord, just bless our time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you look at the uh, schedule, I guess the topic for today is uh, our work versus the kingdom resolving the conflict. The title alone would just somehow give the idea or give the indication that there's a conflict that's going on between our work, the things that we do. I mean, as the Bible speaks about it, and we'll, we'll talk about it yet, but the, the things that we do with our hands every day. Now, for, for the young sisters, you know, Many of you are, are living in homes with siblings or, or uh, and with your parents, and you've got things that you need to do. You, you probably have full schedules. You probably don't have a lot of idle time. You know, maybe here and there you have opportunity, uh, some spare time to read a book or something like that. But you're probably living. Busy lives. It's incredible how busy y'all can be. You've got perhaps housework to help with, children to take care of, sewing, cooking, cleaning, certainly enough to keep you busy. And it's all good preparation. And, and for the young men, by now you're probably working. You might only be 16, but maybe dad's got a business and you're already working in the business. But most of you, I'm guessing, are are keeping yourselves quite busy. We don't want to be idle. But we need to be careful how busy we can make ourselves. We have a little... A little plaque in our kitchen at home that says, if you haven't prayed today, you're busier than God ever intended you to be. And the same can go for spending time in God's word. If you haven't spent time in God's word, if you haven't had time to pray, you are busier than God ever intended you to be. And so it seems that that we can find ourselves in a bit of a conflict because we, you know, we... I guess uh, in, in a general sense, uh, as a people, I can just say as a people, as a people of God, 
we don't stay idle. There's something to do all the time. And so it seems as though there's a conflict. So is there a conflict between what we do on a regular basis, what keeps us busy, what occupies our time, and the kingdom of God? Do our occupations, whether it's keepers at home, maybe in training, okay? Because we say keepers at home, we often refer to the wife. She used to be a keeper at home. But your keepers at home, most of you, in training. And you're busy. And for you young men, you're, the majority of you are, are working. And you, you're, you're growing into an occupation, perhaps. Maybe the, the final occupation, the final career, the final work that you're going to do is not even discovered yet. Uh, for myself, I've, I've done different things over the years. A lot of the work has been very similar. But I've worked different places and done some different things. And, and uh, those things can change. But So the question is, do our occupations get in the way of our responsibility to be engaged in the work of proclaiming the gospel. Now we could, anyone could easily say, well, I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher. I'm none of those things. Well, it's, it's a little early to tell. Or maybe God is already working some of those gifts in you. Another question I might throw out there. There's some types of work. We think about work, think about occupations. Are there some types of work that we shouldn't be involved in? I think it was as mentioned here in a message somewhere in the last couple of days about, uh, about work. Uh, somehow that topic came up. And I would say there are some things that we shouldn't do. And the Bible even speaks to some of those things. Even in, even in the day that it was written. And in the Old Testament, there are, there are occupations that the people of God shouldn't be involved in. As I said, uh, over the years I've worked different places. A lot of years I spent in the same type of work, the same type of trade as a, uh, a pipe fitter, which is kind of like an industrial plumber. And uh, I remember a, a, a time when uh, I was looking for work. There was, there was a, a period of years where, and probably this should come out in my testimony later, there was a period of years where, where uh, I, I worked a number of jobs in a short period of time, and, and uh, it was just through different circumstances. I wasn't necessarily looking to go job hopping, but it, that was the circumstances that were there. And... Uh, Happened to be looking through the newspaper for the ads, help wanted, and I uh, saw an ad for the for a, someone was looking for a pipe fitter, a steam fitter, and that was my trade. And uh, the particular company that was looking for someone uh, was known to be a, a a place where the the pay was very good and had good benefits and things like that. And uh, I should say this, it, it was before I was converted that I considered this job. But it was at a brewery. And, uh, well, I filled out the application, went for an interview, and, and I didn't get the job. And I, I was really disappointed I didn't get that job. And as it turned out, about a year later... I hadn't put another application in, but they called me again for an interview. I didn't get the job. And I was a little bit disappointed. But as I said, that was before I was converted. And to work in a brewery, so what? So what if I work in a brewery? It's a good job. Good pay. 
Good benefits. And all the beer you can drink. Well, not really, but I heard, I heard that you could sample if you wanted to. And I used to be a drinker. But I got converted. And it was actually it was through a series of job changes that I got converted. And I'm getting into my testimony. But the question is, are there some places, some occupations that we should stay out of? I think that there are. I think that there are. And there are some good occupations. There are some very good ones. But let me say this. Sometimes, and this, this isn't my original quote. I think I credit this with uh, A.W. Tozer. Pretty sure he said this. The good. The good is the enemy of the best. Sometimes the good, even good, can be the enemy of the best because there's something that is so much better. I mean, the, the work you do, the job you do, may not necessarily be bad. Some years back, going back about six, seven years, I, I worked for a brother in the church. Uh, I was doing carpentry work back then for a time. And uh, let me say this. I don't, I, the, the job wasn't really family-friendly. I mean, it was, it was honest work. It was carpentry, roofing, siding, windows, pole barns, general construction. It wasn't, I was working with your hands. It was good work. But the hours. I mean, make hay while the sun shines, right? And I, I realize that when you're in construction, you've got a season. And we can tell ourselves, you know, we, we, we only have, you know, this span of time to get things done. And then we're, we're probably going to have, there's a good chance we're going to have three months where we can't do a thing. And it's too cold, it's too snowy, too icy. And it is that way. But somehow, does that justify being gone 12 hours a day when you've got a family and you've got children? You know, we talk about addictions. There's alcoholics. And there's workaholics, too. And I know alcoholism, well, we'll call it the biblical drunkenness. That's the biblical term, drunkenness. You know, we know that that is very detrimental to a family. And, and maybe even here some of you know of, of some families that have been greatly affected by that. Maybe some of you know families have been greatly affected by dads who are workaholics too. And just like the alcoholic who drinks and drinks and drinks and he gets drunk but somehow he can't, uh, can't deal with the fact that he's an alcoholic but he won't admit it. And someone can work so much that they're a workaholic and they can't admit it either. We can work too much. We really can. So what is the right perspective to have on work? To have about work and family and work in the church and work and the kingdom of God? I think there's... Many times there is a conflict there that needs to be resolved. As I thought about, about uh, bringing this message, you know, I had uh, new months back what the title was going to be, what the subject matter was going to be. And as I was thinking about, you know, what kind of a message is that? Is that a, an eight-step how to manage your life in business? Manage your what you need to do in the home. 10-step, 12-step, whatever. Very practical, right? It, it could be that, and I think there's a place for that. But I don't have 12 steps here, or 8, or 6. 
But I think that through the scriptures we can see some principles. And being that we all come from different situations and different experiences, uh, we have to make application from what God's word says in our own particular situation. So the fact is that work is just part of life. It just is part of life. And if there isn't work in your life, if you're not working, if you're not doing something, you're barring some uh, maybe physical handicap, perhaps even a, a uh, emotional or mental handicap, barring those things, everyone needs to be working, busy, working with your hands. So work is part of life, and that's, that's whether someone is a, a Christian or not. I mean, every, everybody's got to work. There's really no free ride. Well, I guess maybe there are a couple free rides out there, but it's not good. You know, our nation, uh, back in the 60s, President Lyndon Johnson uh, created a program And he called it the war on poverty. He was going to resolve the problem of poverty among people. And uh, 60 years later, or 50 years later, I guess it is, the war was lost. That might be the, you know, I think the the United States is, they, they, it was said that the United States never lost a war. And, well, I think maybe they could say that up until the Korean War, when that that war wasn't really won or lost, or actually it's probably still going on in Korea. It's just, it's not actively, they're not actively shooting. And there's been some other conflicts that the United States has been involved in and, you know, never really did, there was, was there ever really a, a victor? But certainly this war on poverty was lost. It was lost. Because there's still a lot of poverty. Even more than that, there's people have been, oh, I guess what we call, enabled. They've been enabled by government programs to continue in the place they were at, which was not willing to work. Again, there are, there are situations where someone can't work, but it's enabled. So everyone should work. But an, another thought, another question maybe is this, but when it comes to our work, what we do, what we occupy ourselves with, how different are we in reality then can I say the heathen that live just down the road from us? What are we doing different? Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. There's, a, there's an admonition there in Ephesians that we should work. We should work with our hands. And You know, I'm not going to make a, a, a strict doctrine out of that, that we need to we need to work with our hands and get our hands dirty and get our hands grimy. And, uh, but there's something to that. There, there is something to hard work. And of course, you know, we realize today in the age that we live in, uh, some of the, the hard work, the manual labor, has is, is been relieved by computers and heavy equipment and other types of machines and tools and and all that. And so, you know, work isn't as hard as it, as it was. Can you imagine? You know, today when, when a large structure is built, there's all kinds of mechanized equipment. You know, there's concrete trucks and cranes and, and all kinds of equipment to get, to get a, a large building built. Can you imagine 2,000 more than 2,000 years ago, 
even building building that 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 temple that Solomon was commissioned to build. The labor that went into that. Without the aid of all kinds of mechanized things and equipment and power tools and whatnot. And it was done to perfection. A lot of hard work. And so today it's perhaps not as hard. To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, study to, uh, study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. You know, Paul's saying a lot there. He says... Uh, uh, it, it, it says here to do your own business. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the only biblical way to uh, have an occupation is to have your own personal business. But it's good if you can. Uh, sometimes being uh, self-employed, having your own business, gives you the opportunity to employ others in the church. Uh, being self-employed can give you the ability to be flexible with your time. Uh, a, a number of those who are involved in ministering in other churches, uh, they are self-employed, and, and it does avail them to, to travel, to go to different places and speak, and uh, it's good. But it's not mandatory. Here again, he says to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. And this is, this is the part that answers that question about, you know, how different should we be than the heathen around us? He says that there, there's a need for us to walk honestly toward them that are without. So they can, they can see that, that this man, we can trust him. We can, we can just... We can give him the key to our house and say, go ahead and do the work. I'm going to be gone for a week. Uh, I know everything's in good hands. Not everybody would do that. I have a customer that uh, done some work for over the last couple of years here that... Uh, when it, when it comes down to figuring out some details on a project, he just said, just do whatever you think is best, and uh, I'll, I'll be fine with it. Uh, he trusts my discernment. That, and that's, that's part of the difference uh, that we need to be, that we need to make. Paul also says that, that we may lack of nothing, Well, I don't think that where he says there that we may lack of nothing. Uh, there's a need for us to work, to provide for all of our needs. But it doesn't mean that we ought to strive to keep building a bigger and bigger and bigger business and make more and more and more money. Because those are the things that the world uh, seeks after. Let's turn to the book of Second uh, Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3.
2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I lost my place here for a moment. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we have behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. I think maybe I'll stop right there. You know, see Paul writing this, you know, he's he's talking about the fact that there even even for him, the, the example that, that he's giving is is that yes, he's a he's he's doing the Lord's work. He's He's established churches, he's a church planter, he's a missionary, he's going out with the gospel. And, and we see, he's, even he's writing this letter, that he's also uh, keeping in touch with them. He's, he's ministering to them. He's, in a sense, uh, being an overseer for them too. And he's busy with the Lord's work. He's busy with the work of the kingdom. But he also makes mention here that that we're not just looking for someone to take care of all of our needs. They they feel they know that they're able bodied. They know that they can work. They can be, in a sense, uh, to a degree, self supporting. But at the same time, I think there are also. Uh, times when they had need, and the church stepped up and supplied for their needs, whether it would be housing or food or any of those things, perhaps even they needed they needed some money so they could get to the next their next place. but at the same time here, he says, "Look to us, look at our example." And he says, this we command you, in verse 10, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That sounds like, that sounds pretty severe. But I think he's trying to make the point of the importance for physical work. And so Paul, we look at Paul as, as an example of someone who was Incredibly busy with the Lord's work. But also, he still found that he had need and he had opportunity to work with his hands. And not just totally rely on the church for support. In Acts chapter 18... Paul identifies his occupation. It says that Paul traveled from from Athens to Corinth. And there he met Aquila and Priscilla. The Bible says that that he abode with them for a time. It says that, that they were of the same craft. They had the same occupation. It says they were tent makers. Now, today, tent makers isn't an occupation. You know, there, um, there's still, still places that make tents, but it's not 
It's not the same. It's a factory environment. But, but Paul states here that he had an occupation. It also says there in Acts 18, in, in chap, uh, uh, verse 3, he abode with them. He abode with them and wrought. That word wrought means that he worked. Paul just didn't, didn't come across these two and, oh, they got a nice place to stay and there's nice accommodations here and I just think I'm going to take a rest. I think I'm going to take a little vacation. When he met with them, and it turns out they're of the same occupation, he, he joined into their, the work that they were doing. It says that he worked. He wrought. So yes, you know, Paul had, he, he met this, uh, this couple, and they were of the same occupation. And, you know, sometimes you, you can find a little fellowship with that one, somebody is, is of the same occupation. Uh, especially if they're a fellow Christian, a fellow believer. And that was Paul's case. But he didn't just take a vacation. He, while he was there, he also worked. Let's look in the book of Acts now in, in chapter, chapter 20. Paul again, here, verse 32, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to word, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I had coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. That He's saying those... All that stuff, that that doesn't interest me. He goes on to say, Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul, again, you know, talks about his own labors, not just the labors of the kingdom, the work of the kingdom, the ministry, the preaching, but also this example of working. And he, and he said there's a, you know, Sometimes we, we the the difficulty we talk about the the uh, the balancing of things uh, this conflict that was mentioned in the in the title the topic you know how much is enough how much work should we do how busy do we need to get and Paul says here, you know, if, if you have some extra, if you have an excess, um, give it to those who need help. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, I think there's a place for, if, you know, if, if we're in business, if we're occupied in our business and, and business is doing good and we have an excess, you know, we have a choice to make. Do we, do we continue to build the business? Or do we really assess things and say, you know, how busy do I want to get with this? How big do I want to get this thing to be? And if, you, if there is some, uh, if you're doing well, the example here is that uh, we should give to the necessity of others. Look to others' needs. Not just took the take the the excess of our business, the profits, and simply put them into our back into the business or consume them 
on things that that perhaps we're even coveting after. It would seem that the Apostle Paul, can I say perhaps the world's greatest missionary. I wasn't sure if I should say that or not, but it would seem like Paul was the world's greatest missionary. Not only was he a missionary, but he was a preacher and a church planter. Now I just wonder, it would seem like that, that he found, found his place in all that. Being a tent maker, commending working with your hands, not being idle. He found a balance between working with his hands and the work of the kingdom. And that's, our, that's the challenge for all of us. You know, on some, some level, we all, we all see, I think we have to acknowledge this, that we see prosperity in business as somehow God's blessing. Well, it is. But sometimes a blessing can turn into a curse. And all that has to do with, I think that, that, that lies on us what we do with it all. But we could say, oh, you know, Paul, he could do this. I mean, he could find this balance. Paul was, Paul was a super Christian. He was a super man. He was unique. Paul was special. Yes, he was. The Bible says that he was Filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what made him special. No doubt, no doubt that, that Paul would have said of himself, and the, and the scriptures reveal it, that, that he could attest to the fact that he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was circumcised the eighth day, that he was trained up. He sat under a great teacher, he knew the law. And he did all that he could to keep it. But that isn't what made him who he was for God and God's kingdom. It was the power that he had. Because the Holy Ghost had filled him. And was continually filling him. So Paul was called. Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost. But do we not have the Holy Ghost? Are we not also called? Let's turn to Matthew 28. Hardly have to even turn there, we know it. The last verses there in the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, these final verses, starting with verse 16. Even the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you 
always, even to the end of the world. Amen. When we read this, you know, how, does, how does this speak to you? When you read this, do you, do you think, well, there, there, are, there are only some select individuals like the Apostle Paul that are called to communicate the gospel. Let me put it that way. There's only select ones. So that probably, maybe, that doesn't include me. I'm not in that unique, special group. But if you have the Spirit of God, and you do, if you've been born again, you also have the ability to do the same thing. You know, we see in the book of Acts, you just read through that book of Acts, it's just filled with, with the works that God did. When you look in the, in the Gospels, you, you see what Jesus did. He, he uh, performed miracles. He communicated the truth of his Father to the people. He, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so, when we look at this, I, I think we can say that there is a general call for all Christians to communicate the gospel. You know, the, the, the scripture says that not all are, are, are preachers or evangelists, not all are teachers. But there definitely are those among us who are. And I think all of us, if we have the joy of the Lord, if we have the Holy Spirit working in us, we can be communicators of the gospel. You know, I think that's the difference. Uh, to the extent that we, the church, all of us, not just the pastors, not just the preachers, not just the evangelists, not just the missionaries, all of us, to the extent that, that all of us are involved in, in the, the real work of the kingdom, that shows the, the life of the church. You know, when we think about the church, the church is alive. But it's only alive if it has breath. You know, the Holy Spirit, we look that up. When we look up spirit, we know that, that it's speaking of the breath of God. The breath of God residing in the church. The spirit of God in the church. The Holy Ghost working in the church. And if the Holy Ghost is there and the Holy Ghost is working, you're going to see something. We saw it in the early church. We saw it, we see it in the book of Acts. We, we, we saw how God worked in the Gospels. And that's an indicator of how alive the church is. We have to be careful. We have to be careful what we read. When we read things, we read books. And uh, just recently I read a book. And I, I like to read, but you know I like to say I don't have a lot of time to read too. But I found out that if there's a, something you really want to read and put your mind to it, all of a sudden you've got time. And I came across a book, actually one of my daughters uh, said, Dad, you should, I had two books, and, 
And one of them said, you should read this one first. And I did. And it was a book uh, written by an author who uh, was a missionary for a number of years in uh, Somalia doing relief work. And, and he ended up with a, 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 a I guess you could call it a spiritual crisis in his life. You know, he had just questions about, even like a fundamental question is, does God even care anymore about people? Because of the, what he saw, and, and this would have been, he's writing about uh, what was going on in Somalia in the, in the late uh, 80s and, and early and 90s, halfway through the 90s, there was a, Civil unrest, civil war, war, famine. Uh, you know, the, there was a, a famine in the land, not just because of the war, but because of the the uh, weather conditions too. Everything went bad, and and through his efforts, being involved with giving relief, uh, he just he saw so much misery, so many people dying. And he was questioning, is, is God even there anymore? Does God even care? And through all that, he, he went on a, on a journey searching to find out if God is still working today. Now, he writes about his experience, and this is uh, going back some years. But that was his question. Is God still working today? And if he is, why don't we see what we saw in Acts? Why don't we see it? Why don't we see that working of God? So he, uh, he went on a, a journey that lasted a number of years. And he went to uh, countries... In Europe, Russia was one of them. He went to the Ukraine. He went to China. He went to these places to talk to Christians about how God was working in their lives. And these were places where Christians were either had just come out of a very persecuted times, as it was in the uh, Soviet Union, Ukraine. But he also went to China where Christians are still persecuted and the church has to be hidden and has to be underground. And after interviewing hundreds of Christians, he found out that God is still working the way we see it recorded in the book of Acts. And what do we see there? We see miracles. Incredible things. Things that you read and you go, you maybe look at, oh, that, that, that was in the book of Acts, you know, because the, the Holy Spirit was moving and there, there was these great Christians there and that's why we, this is just a marvelous story. But it's not just a story. It's not just history. It's, if you go to the right place in the world, it's living history. It's happening even now. And there's a, a lot of uh, things that were recorded in the book. Um, just incredible. What God is doing in his church today to those who are faithful to communicating the gospel. I think, uh, well, we know the scripture, it says that, that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that verse. How many have ever thought about that verse? Have you thought about that verse? Put your hand up. Have you thought about it? Have you ever thought, why 
don't we have persecution? Well, um, Brother Jerry Mahor, in a, in a message, uh, can't, I don't remember the title of the message, I don't remember the whole subject matter, but it had some, you know, uh, Jerry Mahor is uh, an evangelist and preacher, and, and he gets out, right out there with the people. And, and one thing he said was, um, the, the reason we don't have persecution is because we're not getting out there with the gospel. If we get out there with the gospel and approach people that don't want to be approached, of course, we don't know that. I mean, we're not trying to be antagonistic. But in general, most people don't want to be approached. I'm good. Just save it for somebody else. I don't want to hear it. I don't need religion, whatever. But Brother Jerry would say, the reason there's no persecution is because you're not out there. If you were communicating the gospel, you'd be persecuted. Perhaps not to the extent that, that would have been there in, in Europe, uh, under oppressive governments, that, that it's not, perhaps not to the extent that it would have been in China and still is, and Korea for sure. The most persecuted country on earth. Uh, may not be this year, but it's been number one for a number of years. So, the question that comes to us then, we're not persecuted. We're not persecuted. If one and one equals two, and if we don't suffer persecution, are we really living godly in Christ Jesus? Are we really doing that? We must not be communicating the gospel either. Because those that are, are persecuted. And we don't have time this morning to relay some of the the stories of all the stories of persecuted Christians. But in China, in, in China, the 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 uh, the pastors of churches, they just know. They know that they're going to spend time in jail. They know it. It's a it's like they don't even consider that they won't. When someone starts pastoring a church in China, in the underground church, in the uh, unapproved church, you know, not the government approved one, then they just expect that they're going to spend at least three three years in jail, and they kind of look at it like, well, in America, you you go to the seminary and you get training for three or four years in the seminary, and we just go to prison and we get three or four years of training there. They get the hands on, you know. And, and that's just normal life. It's, that's just how it is. And they're happy. They're, they have joy. They have joy. Because they know that when God speaks, they listen. And they do what God says that they ought to do. So, there's, there is a specific call, but there's a general call to all of us. All of us. We all need to communicate the gospel you know, why did, the, why did the, the gospel, the good news, travel so far? Was it all because of Paul? Mm-mm. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just the other, you know, and those are the ones that stand out. And there, there were the other apostles, too, and the other disciples, the 120, who all received the Holy Ghost. And, you know, they went out, too. It wasn't just them. 
It was, it was those who were in the, in those early churches that, that followed Paul's example. Yeah, they knew they needed to work, but, uh, I can get by without this and I really need to get out there and, and talk about Jesus to my neighbor. That's why the gospel spread so quickly. Yeah, I'm not sure how many Christians, real Christians, are in China, but somewhere I, re- I read that the number of 60 million, maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's 100 million. I think there's more born again Christians in China that are truly born again. And you know they're born again. Not because they wear a certain kind of clothes necessarily, or they attend a certain place, but because they're obedient to the gospel. They live the gospel, and they die for the gospel too. They're born-again Christians. More in China, most likely, than there is in the United States. We've got a lot of churches, and we've got a lot of churchgoers. But I wonder how many real Christians there really are. You know, we say that that we believe in Jesus. We say that he is our all in all. We say a lot of things. We say that we, well, we sang, we sang a song today. Then we, my Jesus, I love thee. Do we? Do we really? Do we really love Jesus? My Jesus, I love thee. My Jesus, I, I believe in thee. I, Jesus, I, I, I hear what you say and I, I do it. James chapter 2. Don't have to go there. James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? We have faith, don't we? We have faith. If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, or, or, uh, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith that hath not works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith with works. Faith and works go together, and the greatest work is the work of the kingdom. If we have faith, there should be the works of the kingdom. This, this next verse Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. I, I believe in God. I, I believe in Jesus. But the devils also believe, and they tremble. Do we tremble before God? So much so that we can't help but communicate the gospel. But wilt thou, O vain man, that faith, wilt thou know 
O vain man, that faith without works is dead. I mentioned earlier about, you know, a living church. A living church with faith. Well, here we just read about it. Paul said in his epistle to Titus, there are some that profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, an abomination, and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. But we believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. By Jesus, I love thee. Jesus said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. He also said, If ye are my friends, or ye are my friends, if ye do whatever I command you, So we love Jesus. And so we say that we're his friend. Is that is that real? Are we real? Turn to the book of Luke in chapter 12. Just going to make reference here. You know, these, these verses, Luke chapter 12. I'm just making reference here to verses 4, starting with verse 4. Here it's written, fear God. Fear Him. Fear Him that hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear Him. Jesus also says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, are ye of more value than many sparrows. God, Jesus puts great value on us. We don't have time here, but, but Jesus goes on to talk about a, a prosperous farmer that, we don't have time to read it, but he talks about this pros, prosperous farmer that's, that's doing really good in business. And so what does he, what does he do with it? He says, hey, I, I, I'm already rich, and now I have a really good year, and what am I supposed to do with all the income from this? What should I do with it? Well, he decides, you know, I need bigger barns now. So that I can store all this. So I can store. I need a bank to put all my money into now. And he thinks, it's going to even get better. Now I can just, just lay back. Just I've got things for lots of years. Everything's looking good. But God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be? which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus goes on to warn about being worried about things, being worried about having enough, being worried about, you know, uh, providing. And so there's there's this, this... 
there is this uh, conflict that goes on. You know, we know we're supposed to work. You know, the Bible commends us to do that. But at the same time, there's this work of the kingdom that we have to do too. And, and, and really, anything that's, we know, this is, this is true. I, I think most of you could affirm this. Anything that we really put our mind to, anything that we really put our efforts to, anything that we really want to do, we make time for it. We do, don't we? So we make priorities. So what's going to be your priority? When you leave this uh, week of Bible conference, what's going to be your priority? Be careful what you read. As I said, I read that book, and uh, what I saw in there was what the author relayed to is you know, the answer to that question. Why don't we see the acts of the apostles? Why don't we see those kinds of things today? One, maybe we lack faith. Maybe we also lack engaging ourselves into the works that it says in, in Ephesians that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that work is the work of the kingdom. That work is being a communicator, being a preacher, being a even a prophet today in the church. May God inspire us all to seek him, to seek for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to fulfill our part in that great commission.